You're listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Sarah McHugh, Associate Director of Events and Visits at UMass Boston. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Jeremy. Today is October 15th, 2023, and this is episode 247 of Lighthearted. We are getting deeper into the fall season. So how's your fall going so far, Sarah? My fall is going pretty great. I Earlier in September, I was in Portland, so I got to go to a few lighthouses. And I just started a new job, which you just announced, which is awesome. And a mm-hmm. fun fact about UMass Boston is that their mascot is the Beacons. Um, ah. So it's actually a lighthouse. <laughs> Bobby cool. the Beacon is a lighthouse that dresses up and runs around campus. Um, but it's pretty cool. They they play a lot into um, the symbolism of the lighthouse and, you know, preparing students and young people to go out and bring light into the world with all that they learn at UMass Boston. So I felt like it was a pretty good fit for me. Absolutely. Yeah. Congratulations on the new job. Sounds Sounds excellent. Thank you. So back in August, you and I visited the famous Thatcher Island Twin Lights uh, off Rockport, Massachusetts. And that, of course, is the subject of today's episode. So what was your overall impression of Thatcher Island, Sarah? Thatcher Island was amazing. And I I feel like I say this every time um, we do a recap of one of our trips, but it was just magical. It's like you're you're removed from society and all that, taking the boat ride out. And then once you're there, the view from the top of the lighthouse, all the different workers that were there and everything that was going on um, was super cool and, yeah, pretty spectacular. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I've been there a number of times over the years, but usually it's a few to- few years between visits, so it was really nice to get back out there. My first time was back in the 1980s, as we'll talk about. And uh, today we're going to listen to some audio recordings that were made on the island uh, when we visited there uh, just recently. Uh, And uh, you had the opportunity to climb the south tower of the two towers uh, and to talk with Sid Wedmore, the chairman of the Thatcher Island Town Committee. I also want to play some clips in today's episode that I recorded back in 1989, the first time I visited. Before we do that, I think a good place to start is to go over some of the history of Thatcher Island. So please help me with that, Sarah. Sure, Jeremy. In 1771, there were nine lighthouses in operation in North America. North of Cape Cod, there were only three at Boston, Plymouth, and Portsmouth. The twin lighthouses built on Thatcher Island in 1771 were the last lighthouses built under British rule in the colonies. Two 45-foot stone towers, about 300 yards apart, were lighted for the first time on December 21, 1771. The towers were erected on a perfect north-south axis, which enabled fishermen to line up the lights to determine true north. The first keeper was James Kirkwood, who was accused of being unpatriotic at the start of the American Revolution. He managed to escape to Canada. Because the lights of Thatcher Island were the first to be seen by many travelers coming from Europe into Massachusetts Bay, it was considered a very important station by the government. It was decided that new, taller towers were needed at Thatcher Island. Twin granite towers, 124 feet high, were built in 1861. The lighthouses were fitted with enormous first-order Fresnel lenses, first illuminated on October 1, 1861. 
The North Light was extinguished in 1932. Thatcher Island had been the last twin light station on the coast. There were at one time seven twin light stations and one triple light station all on the Atlantic coast. The South Light and the Fog Signal were automated in 1980 and the Coast Guard moved off the island. The first order for Nell Lens was removed from the South Tower and is now on display at the Cape Ann Museum in Gloucester. Ned Cameron and other concerned citizens of Cape Ann formed the Thatcher Island Town Committee and the nonprofit Thatcher Island Association in the 1980s. That brings us to the first audio clip I want to play. It's a recording I made in the summer of 1989. I sat down with Ned Cameron uh, in the keeper's house there. He was one of the fathers of the effort to preserve the light station on Thatcher Island. The clip is just a few minutes long. In the clip, uh, Ned talks about starting the preservation effort and also about what he loved about the island. It goes back to about 19, the early 70s, I guess you'd say, when uh, they were talking about automating the, uh, the light, and also uh, you're working on the North Tower. The North Tower was going to pieces. There wasn't any glass at all in the whole, the whole structure, so uh, vandals had done a good job on it. So uh, this Crown Fathers, they, they uh, appointed a committee, wanted to ask me to chair it, so I did. Then uh, we got involved in doing the work on the North Tower. Then the automation came, and in 1980, they... Uh, lease was signed and, and it was turned over to the town of Rockport and it happened right here in the kitchen. So it was a kind of, it was a, quite an occasion, a little, quite an undertaking too, because we had a keeper, I sort of engaged over the telephone. I never met the man, but I talked to him a few times and Russell Grubb was the first keeper. He, was, he was, did a good job. He was uh, uh, all alone, coming in December, it, was, it wasn't easy. Uh-huh. And, uh, Christmas that year was dreadfully cold and windy, and it was a, kind of a hairy experience for me. Yeah. But uh, after that, way we thought maybe we ought to have an association, so uh, that would help with the funding and support and all that. We were able to raise enough money to buy this, or have this boat built. Mm-hmm. It's built specifically for this island radius. This oh. is sort of a design between ourselves and the boat builder mm-hmm. and it's been an excellent design it's designed right. to come up on that on the ramp that's the one yeah there are two rollers underneath it not to get up the ramp but to get off the ramp mm-hmm. sometimes it's a little difficult mm-hmm. and because sometimes uh, there's been times where we have one set of keepers that were here for 13 months before they went off the island mm-hmm. they've never been off the island but right now everything is working along well and uh, uh-huh. we're progressing every year. And yeah. The North Tower, we hope, will be completed this coming year. Mm-hmm. So uh, we're looking forward to that. I'm probably, like some of your friends, uh, an island nut myself. Uh, ever since I came out here, uh, I'd land down there and start walking up. I felt like I was in another world. Just a, just a piece of, you know, something like that. But, uh, it's hard to Say, I've, yeah. I've relieved the keeper sometimes and, and stayed here mm-hmm. my, myself, and uh, all by myself, which, which is kind of nice. Yeah, and, uh, do it more often if I could. Uh-huh. <laughs> Can't get them to leave sometimes. <laughs> when did you first start coming out here yourself? Uh, well, probably in, in the uh, early seventies, mm-hmm. uh, looking into 
the aspects of of the automation with, for the town, and then with the uh, trying to close in the mouth tower to keep it from deteriorating to a point where it was uh, too far gone mm-hmm. to repair. Was it very close to that yeah, point? It was very close, very close. I think if it hadn't been done in 1975, and that work was done, uh, we may not have had a tower up there. For many years, there have been volunteer caretakers on Thatcher Island in the summer. They're usually referred to as keepers, but I'm pretty strict about the use of the word keeper. To me, it means a person who is employed by the federal government to maintain a light station and to keep the light and fog signal. But I do think that people like the seasonal volunteers on Thatcher Island really are modern day keepers. They do a lot more than simply look after the place. When I was there in 1989, I spoke with Armand and Betty Descharnay, who had been the caretakers for a few years at that point. So let's listen to that clip. This is our fourth year as keepers on, on Thatcher Island. Mm-hmm. It's been a, been a quick four years. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Looking forward to a lot more? Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you're very happy with this? I am. And she is, too. She, yeah. uh, she enjoyed it here. Yeah. yeah. And it's enough to keep you busy where you don't get bored. Uh-huh. Yeah, we uh, both have always liked being by the sea, and you can't get much closer. And um, you have to have your arts and craft and enjoy reading and um, mm-hmm. have ways of keeping yourself busy yeah. if you get too many rainy days. Does it get a little lonely sometimes in the winter? Little, little Not, deep, yet. No? Not yet. Not <laughs> yet. Oh. Uh, the longest we've been without anyone being able to come on or us getting off was three weeks. And I can handle that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Have you been out here for some big storms in the winter? Uh, the first year we had a pretty good one. The water was coming into the, uh, all the waves were coming into the boathouse, and we were quite thrilled with it. <laughs> I want to play a couple more clips from back in the 1980s, but next I want to play some audio from our trip to the island in August. We got a boat ride early in the morning from the Granite Pier in Rockport, and we went out along with Sid Wedmore, who was the chairman of the Thatcher Island Town Committee. Did you enjoy the boat ride, Sarah? I always enjoy boat rides, but this one was a little bit choppy. Um, It was fun, though, getting over there and all the different volunteers that were both on the boat and then welcoming us onto the island as well. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a beautiful area. I I love Cape Ann. And, uh, yeah, it was a little little choppy that day. We could see Straitsmith Island Lighthouse on the way out Mm -hmm. also. So once we got on the island, we walked over to the South Lighthouse Tower. We stopped on the way and chatted with Sid Wedmore a bit about the keepers and families who lived on the island. There were as many as five keepers on Thatcher Island at one time, with a principal keeper and three or four assistants. So let's listen to a short clip of Sid talking about children on the island. And the kids themselves who were out here, they would be rowed back and forth from the island over to Loblolly Cove. So it's about three quarters of a mile to... uh, row out there and they had arrangements in inclement weather that they would stay with someone ashore mm-hmm. rather than having to try to negotiate the inhospitable yes. seas there. <laughs> Next we went into the South Tower and you chatted with Sid inside the base. A lot of the discussion was about their sources of electric power on the island. So let's listen to that now. A couple of times when we first came out here we had the cable break so we roasted up a uh, patient who was a scuba diver, a guy who had a boat out here, and a cable splicing company from Woburn. Put them all together. The uh, scuba diver went down, found the cable, hooked on an air balloon, brought it up to the surface, 
and the other end brought it up the surface, and the, the cable guy just sat on the fantail, put it back together, and then threw it over the side. So that worked pretty well. We thought, well, you know, we're pretty clever, we can do this. And a couple of years later, it broke again, went out with the same drill to pick up the cable. And indeed, the Dave Stillman, the diver, found the cable, pulled it up, and the guy who was a cable splicing person really started going at it, splicing it, and all of a sudden we found out we were splicing a piece of derelict table into the cable that was going to the island. So that gave us a very little good. <laughs> Subsequently, we switched over to, uh, as I say, to solar power, and we have propane out here for the high-intensity utilization, like the water heaters, uh, cooking stove, and the gas refrigerators, too. I was wondering how everything was powered out yep. here yep. before. Mm -hmm. Solar panels and all that. Yeah, and the solar panels, actually, they work pretty well, but the, the limitation with the solar panels is battery storage. So if you have a number of cloudy days, eventually your solar panels will not provide enough and the batteries can't capture enough, so you run them down. We are putting in another battery of solar panels out here to have more capture and hopefully have more solar power out here. The other thing is, when you place solar panels, you don't want to place them in the shadow of the lighthouse, because when you do that, you miss two hours of morning sun. <laughs> Not one did, of our best decisions. Find, I was going to say, did you find that out trial by error? Well, we found that out by uh, finding out that uh, um, the, uh, there's a period, depending on where you are in the season, there's a period between 8.30 and 9.30 where you got an exquisite shadow of the lighthouse right <laughs> on the solar panels. So next we climbed the tower with Sid. That took a while. Uh, there were a lot of stairs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Twin Towers are 124 feet tall. I believe there are 156 steps inside each of them. Uh, I once climbed the South and North Tower right back to back, and my knees have never been the same. <laughs> but uh, is that the tallest lighthouse you've climbed, Sarah? I think I'll probably need you to fact check me on this, um, but I grew up going to Barnegat Lighthouse, which ah, I believe is a little bit taller, and yes. also uh, one of my favorite lighthouses, Absecon Lighthouse in Atlantic City. Yeah, those are definitely both taller. I think they're both around 170 feet and probably, what, like 200 steps or so? Yep, I think Barnegat Light's 217. Well, you got me beat. I think the tallest one I've climbed is Ponce Inlet in Florida, which has something like... 203 steps, if I remember right. So let's listen to the discussion as we walked up the stairs. Always impressed by the great work here. Yeah. No, I can't believe it we called it Right. And originally, this didn't have a rope here. And they, as we got older, we thought, you probably need something to hang on to coming, going up and down, yeah. so we put that in. And you don't like staircases spiral this way? No. Most people are right-handed, and you would use a tower for defending something. Oh, so you'd have a sword. Yeah, so if you had a sword in your hand, and you're right-handed, you're going up this way, you're occluded this way, whereas the person up here, it's got free access to a wider area to defend themselves from people going up. And it's 
halfway point chair there. Yeah. I like it when tall lighthouses have exhibits you can look at on the way up. And yeah. Pretend you're reading while you catch your breath. <laughs> and these stairwell came from Paris, France. The same time as Eiffel Tower was building out there, France was the uh, premier iron-working country in the world. And most of the lighthouse tower stairwells would come from there. You pick out a lighthouse, get the dimensions, and you could order it from France, and they'd ship you one of these things in sections, put it together. They must have been fairly strong people to put it together. Though. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A giant, giant erector set. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So as we go up, the walls get thinner <laughs> and it tapers up. This is where I think they would have kept a lot of the supplies for the island. Yeah. In time was, since they were run on oil, someone would have to haul the oil up and down. And not only do that, but because of the smoking from the the flame, they were supposed to keep the glass clean. So these had first order lenses, of course, and they consumed an enormous amount of oil. Yeah. yeah. I forget the number, but it was several gallons at night, I think. Yeah. So would there, be, would there have been a couple of different keepers in charge of just this tower? Or? Um, there were, I think, out here at one time a principal keeper and four assistant keepers. But there would always be somebody on watch overnight in the yeah. towers, right? Yeah. And the principal keeper's uh, bedroom is set up so that from their bed they can see this tower and that tower. So if the light went out or something was amiss, they'd know right away. Interesting. Maybe that's a matter of, uh, as you get older, you have to get up more often at night. Yeah. <laughs> I've, <laughs> noticed. <other> reasons. <laughs> I've, I've noticed. I'm not sure we need to climb the North Tower, too. Funny <laughs> thing that. It's not that hot out today, but I think, I think it's humid. That's yeah. what I'm feeling. You guys want to take a look on the outside of Paragon here? Where we don't let people go? Sure. So as we walked up the stairs, uh, Sid was saying how the stairs wind in a clockwise direction. What he was saying uh, is the common belief that the tradition of spiral stairs going clockwise comes from castles in Europe and that it supposedly gave right-handed defenders back, backing up the stairs an advantage when fighting attackers uh, coming up after them. I was just reading an article on the subject and it seems that that theory is probably wrong. I'm not sure anyone actually knows why spiral stairs are, why most spiral stairs are clockwise. Uh, quite a few stairways and lighthouses actually go counterclockwise, and the same is true in castles. So next I wanna play a short clip with you and Sid at the top of the South Tower. How do you like the view at the top of the tower there, Sarah? Well, the view is amazing, especially with such a tall lighthouse. Um, and then being able to see the other tower from up there was pretty cool. But I think one of the most interesting things for me is that that bird's eye view of the island and being able to see the different pathways. And I believe like a little rail that they would use to um, transfer materials from one lighthouse to the other as they came onto the island. I thought that was really, really interesting um, and cool to visualize that from that super high up aerial view of the whole island kind of beneath you. 
Yeah, yeah. It, it, you're right. It is unique. I don't. I, well, the Navasink Twin Lights in New Jersey, you can climb mm-hmm. the lighthouse and see the other one, but it is. It's pretty unusual. There aren't many like that. And uh, yeah, there was a like a marine railway system there for getting supplies up to the houses because uh, it was uh, you know pretty far from the uh, shore where they brought stuff on, as you know, because we walked over from the uh, the landing place to the the lighthouse mm-hmm. there. So here's let's listen now to the clip from the top of the tower. How do you like the view? This is incredible. You can see everything, even on foggy day. It's only a little foggy today, but a little hazy. Or it gets really foggy here at times. It's yeah. interesting to see all of the like pathways below too, and what they're leading to. Yeah. And the uh, turntable you had mentioned. Yep, right down there is the yeah. turntable. And uh, where it comes out here to the whistle house. It used to come up a uh, sort of a ramp and a trestle to the top, and that's where they'd throw the coal in. And it would also go down toward the... the really, yeah, you can over there, you go between this house and the tower, you see some stonework that looks like a wall uh, almost directly yeah. between the two. That was the foundation of the keeper's house that had burnt down, and that was a... Uh, 1870s vintage too and it would have two keepers in it and they would service the north tower time was there would be a covered walkway from the entryway right down to the house next we had a more extended interview with sid wedmore inside the fog signal building also known as the whistle house a lot of things get discussed uh, including how sid got involved and what volunteers do on the island you also discussed the name of thatcher island among other things so let's listen to that discussion now all right so we've met a couple of the different volunteers that are all around doing all different sorts of things and I'll ask you something about them in a little bit, but first of all, all of them have been calling you Doc, and I'm wondering where that nickname comes from. Well, the nickname, I guess, is short for Doctor. I was an, an MD here in town for 43 years and uh, got to know a lot of people here. And uh, if you practice in the same place for that long a time, you get to know the grandparents and the parents and the grandchildren of the same people. And after a while, they all sort of gets confused and muddled in your head because you can't remember who's. <laughs> but yeah, I was I was practicing here, and then got involved with the island. Actually, I got involved with the island through Ned Cameron back in 1983. At that time, there was a second set of keepers out here: Sylvia and Hal Whitaker, who were out here for two and a half years, year round. And after they had been out here for about 18 months. Uh, Ned called me, he was a patient of mine, and wanted to know if I'd make an island call on Sylvia and Hal just to see how they were doing. So my nurse practitioner and I came out uh, in the boat. At that time, the ramp was pretty well broken up, and uh, we jumped ashore, and we stayed here for uh, an hour and a half and did an exam on them, found they were fit for duty for another six months, <laughs> and then left, and that was the first time they came out here. Uh, subsequently came back in... Uh, I think 1986, and been involved in a sense. So did you start out as a volunteer here, or did you have a more formal job? Well, and when it started out, uh, there was Ned Cameron, who was in charge of the Thatcher Island Town Committee. 
is to clarify that there are two entities. One is the Thatcher Island Town Committee. That was formed by the selectmen at the behest of Ned Cameron to function as the overseers and caretakers of the island and as the selectmen's agents. Subsequently, he created the Thatcher Island Association, which is the fundraising and philanthropic group to support the island and has become basically the public face of Thatcher Island. So there's two entities, both of them pretty much mixed up and jumbled together. Initially, there were just a few people who came out and volunteered. I came out with Ned in 86, I think it was. At that time, there were a few trails. There was one from the uh, boathouse to the North Tower and one from the house uh, to the South Tower and the railroad in between. So there were islands was wanting trails for more um, able to get people around. So we fired up a weed weed a brush whacker. Brush whacker is like a weed whacker, but it has this mean old sucker of a saw on the end, and you can use that for cutting uh, brush and, and uh, heavier stuff. Ned and I walked out to a place, and he said, "Well, how about a trail where?" So fired it up, jumped off into the briar patch, and had to cut my way out. Been doing it ever since. Obviously, a ton has been done in the meantime all over the island. I mean, there's tons of trails and different things going on. And on a day like today, there seems to be a lot of volunteers. Mm-hmm. Are they seasonal? What do you call them? And what, what's going on today um, in terms of that? Well, the volunteers come out. We start our season usually in mid-April and end in mid-September because weather otherwise makes it intermittently accessible. So that's the season they come out. They're out here before the actual keepers are out, and they will, in the spring, assess what damage has been done, what needs to be fixed, how to get systems up and running, and get that in place before the keepers even get here. And then throughout the summer, we have access to a lot of different talent, cheap labor. We pay them off in donuts, so (laughs) (laughs) they look forward to that. They are a really variegated collection of people. They come from all kinds of uh, backgrounds and we don't have any particular requirements other than someone comes out if they like it and they're willing to do something that they feel they're capable of with some oversight if necessary, then they're encouraged to do it. And we've collected over the years probably a cadre of maybe 30 some volunteers. And on any one Wednesday, there'll be, well, today there's about 20, 22 people out here today doing different projects. Mm-hmm. And that includes, right now, they're re-roofing one of the L's on the principal, the system keeper's house. They are putting doors on the boathouse, and they are putting in the infrastructure for a whole new setup of panels for the uh, electric system out here. Right where we are, this is the... Uh, Whistle House. This was uh, built back in 1880s or so. There were a number of variations out here, but this is the most recent one. This was operating until the Coast Guard left it, and then they put in an automatic system up by the South Tower. That was now replaced by a radio mechanism. It doesn't run all the time, but if someone goes by with a boat, and they need to know where the foghorn is or where they may be. They can 
go on a channel and activate the foghorn by themselves for about a half hour. So that is the newest iteration of where we are. Uh, but this particular building was really beat up in the uh, no-name storm of, what was that, 93, 95, something 91. like that? 91. We're about 30 feet above the ocean here at mid-tide, and this whole wall here, which is brick, was blown out by the waves, including from that door to there. And the volunteers came out and put up a temporary wall with two-by-sixes and plywood, Subsequently, we hired uh, uh, Joe Napolitano, who's a contractor who does historic renovation to come out and put the wall up. He's one of the guys actually now up working on the roof here. Awesome. So he, he's not lost yeah. in pressing <laughs> here. The bricks and the concrete, because that was a lot of lumping to do, we hired a helicopter and they would fly out 500 pounds of concrete at a time, drop it in the farm and fly back and forth to Lolly Cove, excuse me, here, where the cement truck was, and the same thing with the bricks, those were hauled out by helicopter. So there are ways to getting problems solved other than coming by a boat, and all you have to do is have enough money to do it. Anybody who's in the lighthouse business know it is incredibly expensive. <laughs> so I guess my next question would be, who are the keepers? Could you have mentioned them as separate from the volunteers? They are mixed together, too. Uh, the keepers, we've had a number of different patterns of keepers out here. Originally, we had Russell Grubb, who was out here by himself for a year. Then we had two sets of keepers, Armand Ducharnay and his wife Betty and George and Donnie Carroll, who alternated six months stint out here. Did that for about six years. And they stayed out here until the island was closed when the ramp went out and they couldn't access it. Subsequently, what we've had is multiple keepers. And one reason for the philosophy there is if you have one keeper set, they can usually do a great job once they're familiar with it and trained, but they either outgrow it, they get broken, or they die. Mm -hmm. In which case your backup is in tough shape. So we've opted to have multiple keepers come out, some for a number of weeks, usually a month, and peg a a keeper's couple for a month at the end of the season, one in the beginning of the season, and one in the middle for some continuity. That said, to provide more people's experience in being on an island, we've also put in place an internship program where people would set up to come out for a week under the tutelage and oversight of a season keeper, mm. find out what they were like and what the work was like and how it went. Most of the cadre of that, however, was recruited from our volunteers who come out here. And the reason for that is one would get an idea of what they were like, how they could function. Mm -hmm. And if you just put an ad out, keep as wanted, you get a wide variety of people, some of whom are not necessarily suited for what you want. You got low maintenance and high maintenance keepers. <laughs> It's a very cool program. Um, makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way. So what other type of restorations are going on currently and looking into the future in the next couple of years? What are you all trying to um, fix up or change or build around here? Well, the, the, uh, there's um, a lot of routine maintenance going on. That's the stuff that you would do at home. Then there's more uh, substantial stuff. That's what the volunteers are doing. Most of the infrastructure on the island has been put back into shape 
over the last uh, 10 years, 15 years, in pretty good way. The biggest thing, however, is the towers themselves need some work, which is beyond the scope of volunteers. The couple of, uh, three, four years ago, a piece of granite fell off of the North Tower. That was a result of, over time, the railings and the foundation for the light room is made out of uh, iron. The iron rusts over time. When it rusts and it's in a piece of stone, it acts like a feather and wedge. It expands and will crack the stone. That's happened here. There's been some uh, remediation done. A couple of three years ago, International Chimney put stainless steel bands around the island, the uh, lighthouse circumference in the galleries where the stone was starting to move to secure that from further movement. But we also need to have the stones, if you will, epoxied and pinned together so as to make them more stable. Right now, because of the uncertainty, that's why we don't like, we don't allow public trespass on the galleries up there. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the most magnificent visits you can do is being there on the gallery. But the idea is to, we have a campaign now going to raise funds. There's been a substantial money, money raised, and we're going to be having contractors out here to take a look at the work. We'll hopefully next year start working on the towers. So that'll be a big project. That's awesome. I was lucky enough to go out and check it out. Um, it really is magnificent. When we were getting off the boat, um, one of the volunteers next to me asked me if I'd ever been out here. I said no, and she said, well, just wait. It's magic, and it totally has been so far. So um, especially being able to go out um, and see that panoramic view is really, really awesome. Um, so speaking of the towers, so they're considered... Uh, twin, right? So are they the only twin lighthouses in the United States and what makes them twin? Other islands have had two and three lights on them, lighthouses. I think there was even one island, that, uh, one site that had three lighthouses. These are twins in that they are just duplicates of each other. Mm -hmm. They're the same geometry, the same height, they have the same focal plane, and they have the same lenses set up when they were originally built in 1861. Mm -hmm. So that's where the twins come. At one time, I believe the locals called them Annie's Eyes, because at night there would be two white lights mm -hmm. out there in, uh, in the uh, throughout the night shining. The North Tower was deactivated back in 1933-34 by President uh, Roosevelt as a cost-savings measure. So. Remember to shut your lights out because you're wasting energy and the federal government's funds there. They are a really variegated collection of people. They come from all kinds of uh, backgrounds and we don't have any particular requirements other than someone comes out if they like it and they're willing to do something that they feel they're capable of with some oversight if necessary, then they're encouraged to do it and we've collected over the years, probably a cadre of maybe 30-some volunteers. And on any one Wednesday, there'll be, well, today there's about 20, 22 people out here today doing different projects. Mm -hmm. And that includes, right now, they're re-roofing one of the L's on the principal, the assistant keeper's house. They are putting doors on the boathouse 
and they are putting in the infrastructure for a whole new setup of panels for the uh, electric system out here. Right where we are, and this is the uh, whistle house. This was uh, built back in 1880s or so. There were a number of variations out here, but this is the most recent one. This was operating until the Coast Guard left it, and then they put in a, an automatic system up by the South Tower. That was now replaced by a radio mechanism. It doesn't run all the time, but if someone goes by with a boat and they need to know where the foghorn is or where they may be, they can go on a channel and activate the foghorn by themselves for about a half hour. So that is the newest iteration of where we are. Uh, but this particular building was really beat up in the uh, no-name storm of, what was that, 93, 95, something 91. like that? 91. We're about 30 feet above the ocean here at mid-tide, and this whole wall here, which is brick, was blown out by the waves, including from that door to there. And the volunteers came out and put up a temporary wall with two by sixes of plywood. Subsequently, we hired uh, uh, Joe Napolitano, who's a contractor who does historic renovation to come out and put the wall up. He's one of the guys actually now up working on the roof here. Oh, so awesome. he, he's not lost yeah. from Christmas <laughs> again. The bricks and the concrete, because that was a lot of lumping to do, we hired a helicopter and they would fly out 500 pounds of concrete at a time, drop it in the farm and fly back and forth to Lolly Cove, excuse me, here, where the cement truck was. And the same thing with the bricks, those were hauled out by helicopter. So there are ways to getting problems solved other than coming by a boat. And all you have to do is have enough money to do it. Anybody who's in the lighthouse business know it is incredibly expensive. <laughs> So I guess my next question would be, who are the keepers? Because you had mentioned them as separate from the volunteers. They are mixed together, too. Uh, the keepers, we've had a number of different patterns of keepers out here. Originally, we had Russell Grubb, who was out here by himself for a year. Then we had two sets of keepers, Armand Ducharnay and his wife Betty and George and Donnie Carroll, who alternated six-month stint out here. Did that for about six years and they stayed out here until the island was closed when the ramp went out and they couldn't access it. Subsequently, what we've had is multiple keepers. And one reason for the philosophy there is if you have one keeper set, they can usually do a great job once they're familiar with it and trained, but they either outgrow it, they get broken, or they die. Mm -hmm. In which case, your backup is in tough shape. So we've opted to have multiple keepers come out, some for a number of weeks, usually a month, and peg a, a keeper couple for a month at the end of the season, one in the beginning of the season, and one in the middle for some continuity. That said, to provide more people's experience in being on an island, we've also put in place an internship program where people would set up to come out for a week under the tutelage and oversight of a season keeper, mm -hmm. find out what they were like and uh, what the work was like and how it went. Most of the cadre of that, however, was recruited from our volunteers who come out here. And the reason for that is 
one would get an idea of what they were like, how they could function, mm -hmm. and if you just put an ad out, keep as wanted, you get a wide variety of people, some of whom are not necessarily suited for what you want. You got low maintenance and high maintenance keepers. <laughs> It's a very cool program. Um, makes a lot of sense when you explain it that way. So what other type of restorations are going on currently and looking into the future in the next couple of years? What are you all trying to um, fix up or change or build around here? Well, the, the, uh, there's um, a lot of routine maintenance going on. That's the stuff that you would do at home. Then there's more uh, substantial stuff. That's what the volunteers are doing. Most of the infrastructure on the island has been put back into shape over the last uh, 10 or 15 years in pretty good way. The biggest thing, however, is the towers themselves need some work, which is beyond the scope of volunteers. The couple of uh, three, four years ago, a piece of granite fell off of the North Tower. That was a result of, over time, the railings and the foundation for the light room is made out of uh, iron. The iron rusts over time. When it rusts and it's in a piece of stone, it acts like a feather and wedge. It expands and will crack the stone. That's happened here. There's been some uh, remediation done a couple of three years ago. International Chimney put stainless steel bands around the island, the uh, lighthouse circumference in the galleries where the stone was starting to move to secure that from further movement. But we also need to have the stones, if you will, epoxied and pinned together so as to make them more stable. Right now, because of the uncertainty, that's why we don't like, we don't allow public trespass on the galleries up there. Mm. And that's one of the most magnificent visits you can do is being there on the gallery. But the idea is to, we have a campaign now going to raise funds. There's been a substantial amount of money raised, and we're going to be having contractors out here to take a look at the work. We'll hopefully next year start working on the towers. So that'll be the big project. That's awesome. I was lucky enough to go out and check it out. Um, it really is magnificent. When we were getting off the boat, um, one of the volunteers next to me asked me if I'd ever been out here. I said no, and she said, well, just wait. It's magic and totally has been so far. So um, especially being able to go out um, and see that panoramic view is really, really awesome. Um, so speaking of the towers, so they're considered uh, twin, right? So are they the only twin lighthouses in the United States and what makes them twin? Other islands have had two and three lights on them, lighthouses. I think there was even one island, that, uh, one site that had three lighthouses. These are twins in that they are just duplicates of each other. Mm -hmm. They're the same geometry, the same height, but they have the same focal plane and they have the same lenses set up when they were originally built in 1861. Mm -hmm. So that's where the twins come. At one time, I believe the locals called them Annie's Eyes, because at night there would be two white lights mm -hmm. out there in, uh, in the, uh, throughout the night shining. The North Tower was deactivated back in 1933-34 by President uh, Roosevelt as a cost savings measure. So. Remember to shut your lights out because you're wasting energy and the federal government's funds there. 
So shifting gears to the island itself, mm -hmm. um, Thatcher Island, where does it get the name Thatcher from? A misadventure back in 1634. There was a, an Anthony Thatcher preacher uh, in Ipswich with his cousin who was also a preacher, uh, Avery was their last name. They went out, perfectly nice day, except beyond the horizons before there was weather forecasting, there was a, a hurricane. Hit them, the wait and watch was wrecked off the rocks here. Thatcher and his wife washed ashore here. The other 18 odd people on board all drowned. And he was here with his wife for a few days, subsequently found by fishermen and taken ashore. And this is where I find it a little difficult, but the history is that the colonial legislature, to recompense him for his loss, gave him the island and hence it became Thatcher Island. T-H-A-C-H-E-R, not a T. That's a great story and um, proves the point of needing a couple lighthouses out here, I'm <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's awesome and it leads me to my next question just about accessibility to the island, if it's open to the public, climbing the towers, all of that, and um, the, the tourism, the attraction of the island, mm -hmm. and how people can access and find information about um, visiting the Twin Lighthouses and Thatcher Island. Two-thirds of the island is owned by the town of Rockport, so it's public land, just as a park would be or walking down the sidewalk. So anyone can come out to the island and visit just as they can access any public property in Rockport. The difference is because you are isolated and because of the difficulty accessing it on the ramp in the winter, we have the island closed, which means trespass at your own risk mm -hmm. because it's hard to get out here. That said, uh, the um, island is accessible by your own boat. There's some public moorings out there. There's four public moorings. It is accessible kayak by kayak, and that's how many people get out here. And the most trafficked area is via the Thatcher Island Association launch, which is run by the volunteers. And you can get reservations on that for Wednesdays, Saturdays, Tuesdays to Straitsmith. And because we've had to cancel a number of trips out here, we've put in some extra Thursdays to the island for the rest of the month. You can go on the Thatcher Island Association web, visit us, and it is all done through Eventbrite, just like you get a, if you wanted to get a ticket to Taylor Swift and you weren't able to do it, you, <laughs> you go to Eventbrite. But you can do that for Thatcher Island too. That's awesome. This is way better than Taylor Swift concert, I promise. <laughs> what do you love most about Thatcher Island? when everybody's gone and you're on the island by yourself and you can walk around and see things that are all over everybody else's area but we don't pay attention looking to them. And the funny thing is when you're out here there's a different sense of time. There's the morning when you get up, the evening when you go to bed and just in between Mm -hmm. And it's not broken up into 15 minutes aliquots or meetings or Zoom calls. 
and you could shut off your phone and just disappear into the now out here. That's awesome. I can imagine that. It's, it's so peaceful out here. All you hear is the seagulls and the sound of the water, and that's mm -hmm. about it. So I can only imagine being out here alone and getting to experience all of that. It's very cool. That's the magic. So thank you very much for meeting with us, sharing all of your knowledge and experiences here. It's been awesome to hear more about the island um, and learn about everything. Well, thank you, and uh, thank you for what you do in providing other people with the light whole lighthouse realm. Your discussion with Sid Wedmore uh, was in the Fox Signal building, as I, I said earlier. When I visited the island in 1989, the equipment for the old air horn, the old air foghorn, was turned on to demonstrate it. They blasted the horn for us. In 1991, October 1991, the building and the, the equipment was badly damaged in a storm. I'm pretty sure I'm the only person who ever recorded that old horn, as far as I know. So I'm going to play that recording of that horn recorded in 1989 now. Here it is. The old horns like that were much louder, so much louder than the modern electronic horns. So I have one more clip I want to play. One of the topics that came up in the discussion with Sid was an incident in 1919. Sarah, can you help set the scene for the clip I'm going to play? Sure. In 1919, President Woodrow Wilson was returning from Europe on board the USS George Washington when the ship ran into thick fog near Thatcher Island. The fog signal was sounding, but the ship kept heading straight for the island. Back in the 1980s, I interviewed Maurice Babcock Jr. His father was an assistant keeper at Thatcher Island and then later was the principal keeper at Boston Light for 15 years. Let's listen to a clip with Maurice Babcock Jr. talking about what happened when the ship with President Wilson aboard was approaching Thatcher Island in the fog. He heard uh, ship's horns off in the distance. Maybe they got closer and closer. And my father finally realized that the ship or ships that were out there didn't know where they were, either didn't hear the horn on Thatcher's Island or didn't recognize what they were hearing. So my father took the horn off its automatic function, uh, off its characteristic, which was run by clockwork, and he manually uh, kept blowing the horn to call their attention to the fact that something was wrong. And uh, soon coming out of the fog was a Navy cruiser and two destroyer escorts heading right for the rocks on Thatcher's Island. Aboard the cruiser was President Wilson, who had was coming back from Europe at that time from a meeting of the Geneva Convention. And he, my father was credited with uh, saving a very embarrassing moment or possible uh, injury to the President of the United States if they had ever run aground on Thatcher's Island. Maurice Babcock Jr. was a great guy. I'm very glad I got to meet him, and I feel very lucky. I've gotten to talk with him and so many people who have experienced such incredible lighthouse history. Before we sign off today, let's tell people about a few Halloween events at lighthouses that are coming up soon. 
Sure thing. This is uh, one of my favorite topics. I think last year I helped out with one of those Halloween podcasts about lighthouses. Um, in Maryland, the Piney Point Lighthouse Museum is inviting the public to experience its family-friendly haunted exhibit this Halloween season. The Haunting at Piney Point event will occur on October 27th and 28th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. To learn more, look up the Piney Point Lighthouse Museum and Historic Park on Facebook. Point Sur Lighthouse in California is offering special Halloween tours on October 21st and 28th at 5.15 p.m. on both days. The evening of ghostly fun will begin with a sunset tour of the lighthouse. That will be followed by stories of Point Sur's ghostly past and a talk by a paranormal investigator. See pointsur.org, that's P-O-I-N-T-S-U-R dot O-R-G for more info. Cape May Lighthouse in New Jersey has a variety of events all through the month of October. Explore the spirits of historic Cape May during tours and events, including the Ghosts of the Lighthouse Trolley Tours, the Ghosts and Mansion Combo Tour, and more. Visit Scarecrow Alley with funny and spooky scarecrows along the walkways and vote for your favorite. Check out capemaymac.org to learn more. I want to mention a a very special event on October 27th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Kittery Lions Club in Kittery, Maine. I will be teaming up with paranormal investigator Ron Kolick for a presentation on New England's haunted lighthouses. And there will be a prize for the best costume at the event. I hope maybe maybe you'll come, Sarah, maybe in costume, maybe. Yeah, maybe I'll bring my dog in his costume, too. Yeah, I love that idea. I hope hope you do. Although I don't (laughs) know if dogs are allowed in there, but we'll figure that out. I hope we can can (laughs) probably make an exception. For more info and tickets, go to PortsmouthHarborLighthouse.org. So, Sarah, any final impressions of your first visit to Thatcher Island? My final impressions are I can't wait to go back, and I highly recommend anyone in the area or visiting the area takes a boat ride out there and sees everything that's out there. It's super unique. Yeah, I completely agree. It's just such a great place. I recommend it very highly. Uh, I also want to mention that if people want to get more information about visiting the island or uh, information about the uh, organization and so forth, you can go to the Thatcher Island Association website at thatcherisland.org. And of course, it's spelled T-H-A-C-H-E-R island.org. There's no T in Thatcher, as was uh, you talked about with Sid Wedmore. Be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about all the things the United States Lighthouse Society offers, like preservation grants, the passport program, domestic and international tours, and more. Remember that donations and membership help support this podcast. If you listen through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us. If you work to preserve lighthouses and their history, thank you for all you do. We're all on the same team. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Until then, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. Bye.